We tend to live in our expectations. You think about it for just a moment. The last time that you felt really frustrated and upset and angry. I suspect it's because of an unmet or unfulfilled expectation. You expected to get flowers on that special day, and you didn't. You expected that supper was going to be at 6 o'clock, and it wasn't. You expected that uh, in the grocery store at that time of the morning, there would be no lines and you wouldn't have to wait. And you do. We, we have all of these expectations that we live with. And, and so often, our reactions and our, our state of mind and our emotional existence rests in whether those expectations are met and fulfilled or not. And sometimes it has nothing to do with facts or truth. It's just what we expected didn't happen. And it throws us. We have expectations not only for each other and for life, but also for God. We all have expectations for God. There is an expectation in the back of our minds that we believe that when you're God's people, you get treated better than when you're not God's people. There is an expectation that we live with that believes that God is good and blesses those who follow him. Now, there is truth to that. If you read the first part of Psalm 44, and I didn't, I'm not printing the passage on the screen this morning because we're kind of working with large pieces of material, but you might want to grab either the Bible in the pew rack or the Bible you brought with you or your Bible on your phone. As long as all you're doing on your phone is looking at your Bible, we'll let you do that. And I know that's all you'll be doing, right? Listen to how Psalm 44 begins again. Oh God, we've heard it with our ears. Our ancestors have told us of all you did in their day and days long ago. You drove out the pagan nations by your power. You gave all the land to our ancestors. You crushed their enemies. You set our ancestors free. They didn't conquer the land. You did. With your right hand, you loved them. You helped them. You are my king and my God. You command victories for Israel. Only by your power can we push back our enemies. Only your name can we trample our foes. I didn't trust in my bow. I didn't count on my sword. You're the one who gives us victory over our enemies. You disgrace those who hate us. Oh, God, all we give glory to you all day long, and we constantly praise your name because you good to us. And there is something in the back of our minds that says that's what it's like to follow God. And as we see from what the psalmist says, that is sometimes how it is when you follow God. But what happens when life takes a different turn? What happens when being a follower of God doesn't mean that life is safe and comfortable and easy? We tend to struggle because it's not meeting the expectation we have for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
And you see that in the following verses, beginning of verse 9, after this glorious uh, description of all that God's done for Israel, verse 9 begins, and I have a little different translation. I have the New Living Translation. Your few Bibles are a little bit different, but there's not a whole lot of difference. But it begins in verse 9 saying, but, that's always a key thing, word to look at in Scripture, but now you've tossed us aside in dishonor. You no longer lead our armies to battle. You make us retreat from our enemies. You allow those who hate us to plunder our land. You butchered us like sheep and scattered us among the nations. You sold your precious people for a pittance and you didn't even make anything on the sale. You let our neighbors mock us. We're an object of scorn and derision to those around us. You've made us the butt of their jokes. They shake their heads at us in scorn. We can't escape the constant humiliation. Shame is written across our faces. All we hear are the taunts of our mockers. All we see are our vengeful enemies. God, what are you doing? This is not right. And we tend to struggle with God when our expectations are unmet. When we face difficulties and struggles. Even particularly when we face these things Not just in spite of being a follower of Jesus, but because we are followers of Jesus. Eugene Peterson tells of being uh, sitting in the bloodmobile one day and uh, waiting to give his yearly pint, he says. And uh, the nurse there, as if you've ever done that, you know, is there with the clipboard asking you all these questions. And she's going down this list of questions to make sure that he shouldn't be disqualified from giving blood, that his blood would be tainted in some way and would harm the people who would receive it. So it's all this checklist of things, you know, illnesses you've had, where you've traveled, all those things. You get to the last question and she asks him, do you do, you do dangerous work? Now, Eugene Peterson is a pastor and he said, I'm sitting there wearing a clerical collar. So it's obvious to her that I'm a pastor. And she asked me this question and I looked her in the eye and said, yes. And she kind of caught her off guard for a second. And then she looked at him, she smiled, came to her face. She said, that's not the kind of hazardous I meant. And she checked no on the sheet. And he said, I would have loved to have had a longer conversation with her, but there was this whole line of people waiting to have the needle stuck in their arm like I was about to do. But he said, I hope, because I didn't want her to misunderstand me. He said, I don't want her to think that being a pastor was more hazardous, more demanding than any other job. Because it's not. Everything that we do has certain level of demands and risks and difficulties and struggles to it. That's just life. Everything has that. He said, what I meant was not that being a pastor was particularly hazardous, but being a Christian is hazardous. That being a follower of Jesus is going to lead us to things in life where we are, we live in, in an antithesis to the culture and to so much of what people value and so much of what people say is good and right. And we so often forget that. We forget that being a follower of Jesus might well bring scorn on us, might well make people look at us and say, we're not just insignificant, but we're a menace, we're a harm to society. And all you have to do is listen to a few people for a little while and you hear that. And at some point, we have to come to realize that maybe our expectations are a little bit out of whack. And what happens when those expectations fail us and when God, when God deviates from our formula, 
what tends to happen is we turn on God and we blame him just as the Israelites do. Because after all, God owes us, right? I mean, we are sacrificing for him. We've given up so much for him. And when you read this psalm, beginning then in verse 17, the psalmist says, all this has happened, though we have not forgotten you. We've not violated your covenant. Our hearts have not deserted you. We've not strayed from the path. You've crushed us. If we'd forgotten your name, if we'd spread out our hands in prayer to foreign gods, okay, fine. We would have deserved it. But we haven't. We obey the rules. We toe the line. We're doing what we're supposed to do. Why is this happening to us? That's not right. That's not fair. Because we tend to have a, a relation. We tend to think of our relationship with God as sort of a quid pro quo. We do what God wants us to do. He does what we want him to do. We obey the rules. God makes our lives easy. And all the while, God is saying to us, that's not exactly how it works. I'm glad that you're doing the right things. I'm glad that you're spending daily time in my word. I'm glad that you're t- spending daily time in interaction with me. I'm glad that you're, that you're good to your neighbor. I'm glad that you, you love your family. I'm glad that you, you make coming to worship a priority. I'm glad that, that you are striving to be pure in heart. I'm glad that you're a generous person. I'm glad. It's good, all these things you're doing. But our relationship is not you do the right thing and God says, then I'll do the right thing for you. That's not the kind of relationship we have. You know, what amazes me is that when I read through Scripture and I read through the history of God's people, one of the things that keeps coming back to me, and I don't... I'm going to tell you right now, I don't necessarily like it. But one of the things that I see is that God does not seem to be all that hesitant about letting his people face opposition. God doesn't seem to be all that worried about letting his people face difficulties and struggles and threats. When you read through the scriptures... Just for instance, you take the book of Daniel and you get two perfect stories. You have first the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who refuse to bow down to the image of the king. And what happens to them? They get thrown in a furnace. And Daniel refuses to, to stop praying to Yahweh. And what happens? He gets thrown into a lion's den. Jeremiah speaks the word of God to the people of Israel and they throw him in a sewer. And you read, the book of, you read the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and you have these stories of all of these people who do the right things and are persecuted because of it. Paul spends the majority of his adult life in chains. He has a much harder life after he follows Jesus than before he follows Jesus. We see it all around the world with the church. And I think one of the reasons we wrestle with this is because we don't really face that much. We don't deal with those kinds of things like so many of our brothers and sisters do. And when you don't deal with it, you sort of tend to have a feeling of entitlement. But we shouldn't. Now, I, I, I cannot forget the story that's told of St. Teresa of Avila. 
this deeply devoted follower of Jesus. And one day she is on a journey to, to minister to people, doing what God's called her to do. And all along the way, every point in the journey, she keeps running into one threat, one difficulty, one struggle, one obstacle after another. Over and over and over again. And she's at the end of her rope and she looks up to God and said, God, what are you doing to me? I, 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 thought, I thought we were friends. I thought we had this relationship. Why am I going through all of this? He said, I heard this voice in my head say to me, well, Teresa, this is how I treat my friends. And she looked at God and she said, well, no wonder you have so few of them. It's hard for us to grasp that, but it's true. And here's what I've come to discover. Is that God, in His bigger purposes, is much more interested in the big picture of our lives and this world than He is only the immediate. And our expectations tend to get caught in the immediate. God's designs are not just that we have an easy life. God has bigger things in store for us to make us holy, to give us lives of abundant joy and flourishing. But we're so often caught in the moment, we can't see beyond it and what God wants to do. Because ultimately what God wants for us is to know Him in the deepest, fullest ways in which we can experience His abundant joy, His abundant life, His abundant flourishing that He created us for. And the only way anyone can ever experience that is to get close to Him. And the only way to be close to Him is to trust Him. And the only way to trust Him is to be placed in circumstances which you are for, in which you are forced to trust Him. We love having our three-year-old granddaughter, Emma, to our house. And uh, we play games and we, you know, we play with dolls and we do all these things. And I'm doing these things that I didn't do with two boys when you have a little granddaughter. And it's fun and we love it. But sometimes grandpa and grandma get worn out. And so we say, hey, let's watch a video. Uh, (laughs) You, You might have had that experience ever so often. And, and, you know, and, and we don't really have a lot of children's things anymore, but we opened up some boxes from our boys for little and we found some videos. Now, understand, I'm not talking generically about a video. I'm talking about a specific video cassette that goes in a VCR. Yes, we do have a VCR still hooked to our television. You can judge us if you want to, but we do. And, and there's a couple of videos that she likes to watch. One of them is Sesame Street Goes to the Firehouse, and the other one is Big Bird Goes to the Hospital. And we, I've watched Big Bird Goes to both of them numerous times. But in the story of Big Bird Goes to the Hospital, he wakes up one morning and he's sick. He's coughing and, you know, and he's not well. And Maria, his surrogate mother, examines him and takes his temperature and says, I better take you to the hospital. And so they go to the hospital and he has this whole encounter at the hospital. And they take his, they take his blood pressure and he keeps saying, if they keep taking my blood pressure, I won't have any left when I'm done. And, and all this experience about helping children in a hospital. And Big Bird eventually gets admitted. He has some pneumonia, bird pneumonia thing. And he gets admitted to the hospital. And he's in the hospital three or four days. And you can tell this is a video that's old, 30 years old, to stay in the hospital that long. And the whole time, he is whining and complaining. And he is mad at Maria. 
This woman who is his surrogate mother, he is mad at her. And through the video, he won't talk to her. He turns away from her. He's so upset because these people are pricking and prodding him. And they're taking his temperature and they're waking him up at night. And he's away from his friends. And there's this horrible thing. And he blames Maria for it through the whole experience until he starts feeling better. And by the time he leaves the hospital, Maria is his best friend. And there's something in that story that I think speaks to our expectations of God. Because so often our lives are right there at the point where we're in the hospital and we are upset and we're angry at God for letting this happen to us, not realizing that where we are headed is something bigger and better. To bring healing to our lives, to bring restoration to our lives, to bring us to new places with Him, with other people, and inside of ourselves. Because God's ultimate purpose is not to eliminate the opposition in our lives. God's ultimate purpose is to do what Paul writes about, to convince us of what Paul writes about at the end of Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And you cannot know that nothing will separate you from the love of God until you experience circumstances that might threaten us to think that God might abandon us. I never really understood that part of the end of Romans 8 that Paul writes about until I began to look at Psalm 44. And when you get to verse 35, he says, Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecution or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? And then he says, as the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day, we're being slaughtered like sheep. I thought, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Where did that come from? Why does he stick that in there? And I think Paul is saying, let me give you a little commentary on Psalm 44. And Gabe talked a little bit about this a few a few weeks ago when he spoke on Romans 8. And I think Paul is saying, look, we are facing difficulties. And it is, as he says, for your sake. Because we're God's people, we're doing this and we're facing all kinds of hardship and all kinds of struggle and all kinds of burdens and all kinds of opposition. But we are convinced And because we're facing it, we're even more convinced that nothing can separate us ever from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And when you think about it, isn't isn't knowing that we are loved better than just feeling comfortable? Isn't knowing that we're loved better than life being easy? Doesn't knowing that we're loved in the very depths of our being for no matter what we do unconditionally, isn't that the best good possible? And maybe that's what Paul means in verse 28 when he says, God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What is that great good? It is being convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not trouble, not hardship, not persecution, not famine, not all of the things that the evil one wants to bring against us. None of it can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. And you get a glimpse of that at the end of Psalm 44. 
when he talks about it's because of your unfailing love. It's because of that Hebrew word chesed. This love that knows no boundaries. This love that knows no depths. This love that knows no heights. This love that is all-encompassing of the nature of God. Ultimately, the psalmist says, that's what I'm banking on. The unconditional love of God. And that's what we can bank on too. I don't know exactly what your struggle is today. I don't know where you're feeling life pressing on you. I don't know where you may be thinking, life is not fair. God is not being fair. Things are not going the way I want them to go. But can you believe? Can you trust? That in the middle of that circumstance, in the middle of that threat... That God is good, even if. That God is love, even if. That nothing can separate us from the love of God, even if. It's our hope. It's our life. And we come to this table this morning because at this table we see the greatest expression of who God is and the links to which God is willing to go in that unconditional love and the promises God makes as we live our lives now and for all eternity. Amen.